Sorry about that bobble back there, which brings up something serious. I would like uh, to, to ask all of your prayers. Uh, I am not getting enough sleep, and I didn't last night. And one of the problems recently that I'm not getting enough sleep is a pretty serious matter for me is that uh, I uh, obligated myself to uh, produce a, a book, a commentary on Romans, which I have. I did it years ago. I had not looked at the manuscripts for 20 and 30 years. And so I thought I was good to go, but I've never produced something that is more of an academic book. And uh, as I got into it, then I saw, oh, gee, I was hitting the man, hitting this, and then all of a sudden the text scrambles on me and all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not in any kind of trouble. They'll be patient with me. But uh, it's trouble for me when I promise to produce and I'm not close to being able to. I'm just a little bit over my head and it's keeping me, keeping me awake at night. Last night I just couldn't shake it, I couldn't shake it, I couldn't shake it, so... I didn't get to sleep till around three. So uh, I do stupid things. And uh, I wish you'd pray for me because I'm going to need some help along the way, the right kind of help that I don't have. And uh, so it's troubling me greatly. If any of you in this room uh, there are such people around who you're used to doing academic things, footnotes and all of that stuff. I need that help. And I'm sure I can find it somewhere. But uh, I look at the manuscript. The stuff is, by my standards, it's good. It'll be a very good commentary. But it's all the academic stuff that surrounds it. Okay, thank you. I hope you'll pray. All right, let's go to John. We continue our exposition. And we have a, we have a, the last bit of John chapter 10. There's something in here I bet very few of you understand. Maybe you do. Let me read it. All right, John chapter 10. We'll back up just a little bit. Jesus says in verse 30, I and my Father are one. He knows who's listening, and a lot of them are his enemies. Well, when the Jews, he means the hostile party, when they heard that, that was blasphemy. And they took up stones, which was the Jews, not the Romans' ordinary way of execution. They wanted to kill him. Jesus said, Look, I've showed you many good works from the Father. For which of those good works do you propose to murder me? The Jews answered, For a good work, we do not stone you. They were kind of admitting it done good works. But for blasphemy, because you, being a man, a mere human being in their eyes, 
You make yourself out to be God. We're not having it. Well, Jesus answered them, and this is the passage that is very tricky. And most people read it and just blow past it. Has uh, it not been written in your law, the law in which you have such ownership? He's talking about Psalm 82. Has it not been written? I said, God said, you are God's. The Hebrew word is Elohim. Elohim. In the beginning, God created God. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. If he called them in Psalm 82, 6, God's, to whom the word of God came, and you know yourself the scripture cannot be broken, it cannot be violated. You yourself own that. Do you say of him, speaking of Jesus himself, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. Now that's a difficult passage. We'll help you with that. If I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. If I do them, though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I and the Father are one. It's not there. It was back there. Therefore, they were seeking again. They're all amped up again. They wanted to seize him. And then this mysterious phrase, he eluded their grasp. It's not like he ran away. He went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John the Baptist was first baptizing. And he was staying there. He got out of Dodge. And many came to him and they were saying, while John the Baptist performed no sign, he did no miracles, yet everything John the Baptist said about this man was true. And then a remarkable statement in a way. Many believed in him there. Downsizing, and that's what's going on in this passage. Downsizing the magnitude of the person of Christ is a perennial effort and evidence of the activity of Satan. People today still do it. They were doing it then. These efforts to downsize Jesus show up in forms both obvious and subtle. Through the enemies of the gospel and even false shepherds who regularly infiltrate local churches and parachurch ministries. So beware. And this passage is a good warning. Verse 30. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. He means the same essence of being. Total solidarity in will of purpose. In other words, as Jesus told Philip in John 14.6, Philip says, Lord, will you just show us the Father? And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you, you didn't get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then Jesus, the Jews, they took up stones. We got to get rid of this guy. Trial or no trial, we just got to bump him off. So their customary way of a Jew killing another Jew, execution, was not by crucifixion, but by stoning. 
And Jesus says, in effect, in verse 32, well, just hold your rocks for a moment. He says, I've shown you many good works. Like what? He calls the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and the mute to speak. And he raised the dead. And he did it redundantly before their eyes. That's what he calls good works. Works. Movements of the Father through him. I've shown you many good works of the Father. Now stop just a minute. Before you hurl the first rock, tell me which one of those rock, which one of those good works of the Father you're stoning me for. Well, then they try to wiggle out of that because they couldn't admit that those works were of God, but yet they couldn't publicly deny it because everybody else knew it. So in verse 33, this hostile mix in the multitude they denied that they were trying to murder him for any good works. They did not dispute this important point. You won't get it just yet, perhaps. They didn't dispute that they had seen multiplied good works from his hands. They were in moral denial. They try to make the issue right here and right now one thing, blasphemy. You said you were the son of God. That's intolerable. You got to go. You got to go and you got to go now. Well, now verses 34 through 36 that I called special attention to where Jesus said, I remind you of Psalm 82 where God called human beings, human beings in high office, rulers, Rulers who served also as judges, a divine function. His representatives, he called them Elohim. Let me explain that word. I don't want to get too tangled here. El in Hebrew is a singular. It means God. It's a generic, what's that rattling? It's a generic term for God. But the plural form is Elohim. We put an S on the end of words. When the Hebrew wants to make a word plural, they put I am, Elohim. So why do they do that? Well, we think there's, in some cases, a hint of the Trinitarian nature of God. But that's kind of beside the point. I'm just making that point. So here were some human beings in the Old Testament. So before you throw that rock, stop and think. These are the scriptures that you so prize. And here in Psalm 82 verse 6 are some people, God's representatives. that He's given a high station. And he calls these judges, these rulers, God's. And they were really failing miserable at the job. Well, if God himself denominates these people as God's Elohim, tell me, why are you jumping me 
the Son of God, because I'm the one that the Father sanctified and sent into the world. That won't work, will it? Here you have precedent in your own scriptures, Psalm 82, 6, where human beings are called in a lesser sense God. Jesus is not saying he's lesser. So you can't condemn me because I am, I use the term, the Son of God. You know the only way you can call that blasphemy, Jesus says, the only way you can take that into court and make it stick that I'm a blasphemer is to show, to prove, to give compelling evidence that my works are not of God. I'm telling you, I came into the world. The Father sent me. He sent me to say these words that I say. Show that the words are not of God. Show that my works are not of the Father. Then you could call me a blasphemer. Well, they had already conceded that his works were good, and therefore they were of God. So there's nothing they can do with him. Verse 37, if I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me, condemn me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, well, look at the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Now they're still mad. They're seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. We've seen that before. What's going on here? Did Jesus take off running? No. Somehow he was like some of that stuff that my little great-granddaughter had from vacation Bible school. Something she said, Papa, this is weird. It was some green stuff. You could hardly hold it. just squished in your hand. just eluded her grasp. Somehow, Jesus standing right there, he just kind of disappeared. Or something. The text doesn't tell us what. Well, that's interesting, somebody says, but what's that significance of that for you and me? Something I've pointed out many times. What applies to our Lord, our Savior, applies also to us. When God is for us, who can be against us? If the Father in heaven wants to protect us, who can shatter that shield? Nobody. Jesus is going to die. And he's going to die soon. But right now, they want to preempt the purpose of God in heaven and take down Jesus, kill him on the spot. They're furious that he called himself the Son of God, even though he shows them that that has precedent in the Old Testament. And he eluded their grasp. 
Well, these are dangerous times. They're not nearly as dangerous as they are for people, let's say, in Nigeria, where people are just being slaughtered right and left. I assume you know that. As we speak, Christians are being slaughtered in other parts of the world. We get up. First world problem. Oh, gee, it's going to be hot again today. I don't have air conditioning. But they get up and don't know whether they're going to get through the day. They go to church anyway, and they don't know whether the church is going to be burned down over their heads. But that will not happen to you. That will not happen to me unless the Father gives the go sign. Most of us will never be martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never die because somebody broke into our house, took us out and cut off our head or burned us to death. But it does happen. The Father allows it. When that happens, we submit to it. But just remember that his protective hand is about you, his sons and daughters, just as it was about his uh, son. It's easy in this world, especially as we see the way things are unfolding, it's easier to start living in fear. Don't. I mean, we all sometimes can get a little fearful. But don't. It's though we have some security around here, it's easy for somebody out there to break in this church building with a big gun and start blowing us all away. But that's not likely to happen. But it could. Don't live in fear. Go back to, we've seen several of these, where they wanted to take down, and take down Jesus. But in the providence of God, it was not his time. There will be his time when he will die on the cross. It may be my time, it may be your time. But God's protective hand is about you. You've heard me say this. In this world, you may get injured, but you will never be harmed. Let me run that past you again. You may get injured, but ultimately you will never be harmed. You are His. You're his child. You're his sons. You're his daughters. And just like his own unique son, nobody's going to take you out until God is ready. And he may never be ready. It's, a, it's an awesome thing. Well, let's go on ahead here. Verse 40. And he went away again. It was his time to go beyond Jordan. They're breathing down his neck. Somehow when he eluded their grasp, he managed to get out of sight. And he went to the place where John in his ministry was first baptizing. And he was staying there. Just, you know, kind of out in the boonies. Here's another piece of advice. Early Christians often made this mistake. If the time ever comes, and it can come sooner than we think as we follow the news, 
a time ever comes that we are threatened and some of us try to get real brave and to show that we're ready. Piece of advice, never court, Jesus never did, never court martyrdom. Don't run out in the face of the sword. Bare your chest and say, here, kill me for Christ's sake. Actually, there were many who did that in post-apostolic times. They really did. They even lined up to martyr themselves. Their spirit was great, but that's not God's will. If that time ever comes for us, it's found us. Let us receive it. But otherwise, to use that phrase again, get out of Dodge. Move on. Don't court the sword or whatever. Get out of the way and let God bring it to you. Jesus did. It wasn't his time. And he got out of Jerusalem. I don't know how he got out, but in the providence of God, it all worked out. So they went highways and byways, and they got clear to the other side of Jordan, and they stayed there until just about the time of his crucifixion when he came back to heal Lazarus. We'll see that in the next chapter. Well, now we notice something else, verse 41. In the midst of all this hubbub, this furor, this backlash, this hostility, look at this, verse 41. And many came to him. How did this happen? And they were saying, you know, while John the prophet John the Baptist. While John performed no signs at all, yet everything John said about this man, he is the Lamb of God. Everything he said about this man is true. And many believed on him there. I don't know whether you've ever been, as I have, been in a situation where everything is all fiery and contentious, and yet God does his work. I remind you of a story I've told, one part of it just recently, this not telling all of it. We're at a college back in West Virginia. I actually didn't know whether I was going to get out of there unharmed. I did. But how in the world could God do any work? Well, I was right here, and students were around this way, and over here was a Korean war vet, an older guy, very smart, who later became the assistant to the governor of West Virginia. He was cussing at me virtually every other word that I would say. And I was trying to teach, guess what, to these students, trying to teach them the book of Romans. All of them were black except one. How, how possibly 
could the word of God make a difference? I'll truncate the whole story. Some of you have heard it before. Out of that, not immediately, one person came to Christ, and that was that big white boy, big tackle in the West Virginia State football team. But he became the vanguard. And the next year when Campus Crusade came in there, there was a revival, swept that whole campus. I didn't know it for three years. But many believed it all started right there. Never underestimate what God can do. Lots of time there's a lot of noise. And here there was a lot of noise. A lot of hostile fire toward Jesus. And certainly it engulfed his disciples too. But yet at the end of the day, many believed. We're in an environment broadly that is hostile to Christianity and hostile to Christ. He didn't mean it viciously, but this morning, Ossie and I stopped, as Warren Buffett does every day, at McDonald's to get our breakfast. And there's a guy sitting there. He's sometimes reading a book, sometimes playing with his, with his phone. We don't have any deep conversations, but I speak to him. Well, I was up ordering, and I had on my Sunday dress today, Going to give them fire and brimstone, are you, preacher? Well, there's not much chance for interaction, but that's their image of what we do here. Such is the world that we're living in. The reason we keep doing what we're doing, Vacation Bible School, is a wonderful thing. I thank all of you who had a part in it. You worked so hard, both before and after. The reason we do it is because many believed. The Spirit of God can work through these things and get into the hearts of children. One of you told me this week as I was surveying the land with Vacation Bible School, she said, you know, it is amazing to look around here and see these kids because we had a lot of our young people who are now in Spokane. We had them helping and others. She said, it's remarkable, and these are my words, not hers, because I don't exactly remember hers. It's remarkable to see how many of these kids who are out here helping and working were such hellions. <laughs> you know, when we, we had them here. And now look at them. Look at them out here working. The Spirit of God has worked in their life, and many believed. So God can work through all of that traffic, all of that noise, all of that hubbub, and bring many to Christ. Many believe. These are not, I say, days of great harvest. But it's day, these are days of gleaning. And the Spirit of God works through all of that mess. And here and there he draws one, draws another, and draws another, and draws them to a saving knowledge of Christ. So we're still doing our work. We're still preaching the word. And... You are doing your job. I saw you doing it this week, and I've seen it at other times. You're out there serving. You're out there speaking the word of God to children. I passed by one room, and I saw David 
Uh, I wasn't looking for him, but I heard him coming through the walls. <laughs> and I heard him, and there were a bunch of kids sitting before him, and he was teaching the word and teaching the gospel to those children. Why? Just like in the days, those days, ain't nobody buying what we're selling. Well, don't kid yourself. The Spirit of God works through that. Jesus was still preaching and still selling. And in spite of it all, there was a group over here saying, well, I don't care what they say. There's something different about this guy. What John said about him is true. We believe John, and John never worked any signs or any miracles. He just taught the word about Jesus. Wow. What he said was true, and many believed. Now, as I close, I want to share something else with you. You know, they said about John that he worked no signs, and yet he was a mighty force in Jerusalem. Listen carefully to me. Because these are confused days, very confused. There are many who are trying to sell a gospel of signs and wonders. And they're misleading so many people. The normal way that God worked throughout the history of Revelation and since the normal way that he brings people to himself, the Spirit of God brings people to himself, is not through signs and wonders. What many of these people are selling is as false as a Confederate dollar. But once in a while, there are signs and wonders. Once in a while, the Spirit of God, especially in other countries, where they're so dark, you will see and hear of things that are credible that the Spirit of God has done. But never underestimate the raw, naked power of the Word of God, just as the people saw in John, heard in John. Don't ever underestimate it. When God wants it to work, he, Isaiah chapter 55 when he sends forth his word, it will not return into him void. Sometimes it appears to hit a flat wall and just drop. And sometimes it does. God sends that as a judgment. And they get condemnation for rejecting it. But there's nothing like the raw power of the word of God. Don't think you need something more. Lord, we need a miracle. We need some great sign and wonders. You need nothing but God's word. In fact, you will recall that Elijah got frustrated. I'll tell you his story briefly. The Lord called Jeremiah and he told him, he was a young man, 
Jeremiah says, I'm not up for this. I'm just not, I'm just a young man. No, Jeremiah, I've called you. I called you before you were ever born. You're destined for this work. I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim my word, my prophetic words. You're going to tear down kingdoms by my word. You're going to build them up. You're going to do awesome things by my word. He didn't say by miracles, by my word. And Jeremiah did. Jeremiah learned that truth I told you earlier. You may get injured, you'll never be harmed. Those people nearly drove him mad. He was pulling his hair. He was virtually screaming toward the end, Lord, let me out of this. But he never got harmed. The Lord delivered him. And he brought his word, and the Lord did through his word exactly what he said. Never underestimate that. Elijah, he was contending with Jezebel. She was one tough lady, tough in her unbelief. And when Jeremiah, through a sign and a wonder, destroyed the prophets of Baal, you remember that? 400 of them. Well, he thought that Jezebel was going to come to her knees. She didn't. Oh, get that prophet. Oh, get him. Elijah took off running to get way away from her. Well, he goes way south out of Israel. And Elijah is saying, I'm paraphrasing all this. Lord, I'm the only one still standing. That wasn't true. He wasn't lying. He didn't know how many others the Lord had still standing. Do something. Shake that woman up. Bring her to her knees. You remember what the Lord said? He was asking, signs and wonders that will jar her teeth out of her head. Never forget this. Tell all of our pastors, never forget this. Not by some mighty work, not by some earthquake, not by fire, not by some great wind. In other words, not through some mighty works of power do I win. Then Jeremiah heard what? Thank you, David. One person in here remembers that. One small voice. And that's the Spirit of God. That's normally the way God does his work. Don't be conned into thinking that it's got to be a sign, it's got to be a wonder. We had a preacher going around years ago he was talking about power evangelism. And he looked at church and he says, where's the stuff? I heard him on ABC TV. Where's the stuff? The signs and the wonders. And people got into that. He totally underestimated the raw power of the word of God to do God's work. Well, many believed. They remembered John didn't do any signs and wonders, but everything he said about this man was true. 
and many came to him. Well, they're still coming to him, and they will be till the Lord comes. Maybe not as many, not as many as I saw in my youth. Not nearly as many, but they're still doing it. And as long as God puts his word out there, it's going to change lives. It's going to change hearts. changes yours. changes mine. And it will bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe your son or daughter, maybe your husband or your wife, or maybe your neighbors. But there's some of you sitting right here in this audience today. You are changed. You are radically changed by the grace and power of God. I'm looking at one. Raise your hand back there, Beth. There she is. There's one that we remember. Over here is one saved a week after he got to prison. David. And there are others of you. I look around and I see and I remember. Oh, I'd forgotten. The Lord changed them. There's Rachel. Raise your hand, Rachel. Was baptized recently. And then who's that guy beside you? Your dad. What a wonderful man. We've seen the work of God in their lives. And I look over there and I see my wife, Aussie, didn't come from a Christian home, but since I came to Christ through vacation Bible school. Who would have thought it? Okay. Just some teachers just doing what they could to serve Christ. And then some teacher, I doubt that your teacher ever knew, Aussie. I don't know that she ever did, that you came to Christ through them. And I've seen kids come to Christ through Awana. Listen, you're just talking to somebody. We see sometimes these big movements. Well, in these big movements, don't forget the little movements. But in these big movements, a lot of it is false. Some of it is true. The Spirit of God works where he works. But he works through his word. My word will not return unto me, voice. It's the mightiest power on earth, God's word. That's why we teach it. We don't see it. I don't see anything happening here this morning. What's wrong with you people? I don't see it. But over time, I learn it. You tell me about it. And I hear, Jim, do you remember the time? I get a letter. Jim, da, 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 da. I didn't know it, but you show it. And that's wonderful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending to us the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the revelation of your Son. We thank you for your mighty word. And we thank you for people who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because they have believed and they have been saved. Now we pray that you'll continue to glorify yourself through our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are, uh, we're going to close with one last song of praise. Um, 
that uh, definitely proclaims um, the magnificence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we don't want to we don't want to make the mistake of uh, downsizing Jesus. So we're gonna we're gonna sing all about him with this last song. And as we do, the usher is gonna pass around an offering plate. Uh, for this morning, this is because this is a communion Sunday. This is just the the regular offering plate. I don't. We didn't pass the plate earlier, did we, guys? No, I didn't think so. So we've got. Uh, there's a, a box in the back of the room for. We normally take uh, deacons fund offerings on communion Sundays, and the deacons 